When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Long Acres Finance channel. So I mainly talk about dividend stocks and dividend investing on this channel, but today I wanted to step away from dividends for a second. The reality is that most average investors are not good investors, meaning that they underperform the market, which is a little ironic because you can literally follow a very simple investing strategy to get average market results, saving yourself a lot of time and stress. Personally, I think everyone who wants to should give acting investing a try. There are many investing strategies that can lead to better than average results, or more personalized results. Sometimes getting the best return is not the main objective of investing. For everyone else that does not want to commit the time, or doesn't have the stomach to make decisions based on facts rather than feelings, you are probably better off using a very simple index fund strategy. The keyword here is simple. You want to find the simplest strategy that fits your goals, because the easier the strategy is, the less likely you are to mess up along the way. When my friends ask me what they should invest in, I usually respond by asking them a few basic questions about the stock market, and I almost always suggest they invest in an index fund based on their answers. That's usually not the answer people are looking for. They want to know what the next hot stock will be, or how they can grow their money very quickly. Not very many people are looking for average returns with a boring strategy. It's not sexy. But boring and average is exactly what most people should aim for. If you have money sitting in a savings account that you won't need in the near future, you are essentially losing money. Saving accounts are currently yielding significantly less than inflation, and sure, you can look at what's going on in the market today and be scared that you could lose more money in the market versus keeping it in a savings account. But if you look at long-term rates of return for the total U.S. equity market, it hovers around 10% per year. Saving accounts haven't yielded such rates since the 1970s, and they are unlikely to offer any rate close to 10% in the near future. So if you're sitting on some savings with no purpose, why not invest it in the market for a while and let it grow at 10% per year? Today I want to talk about a very simple strategy using three low-cost mutual funds that everyone can understand, and you'll likely do very well with this strategy over a longer period of time. I've also back-tested this strategy over the past 18 years, and I'll be showing you the results. The three funds are all from Vanguard. They are VTSAX, Vanguard's Total Stock Market Fund, VBTLX, Vanguard's Total Bond Market Fund, and VITAX, Vanguard's Information Technology Fund. Let me give you a little bit more information about each fund before we get to the strategy. The total stock market fund gives you an equity position in over 4,000 U.S. businesses. Essentially, you are buying a small fraction of the entire U.S. equity market with this fund. You will own tiny fractions of all of the 4,000 businesses in this fund. It has an expense ratio of 4 basis points, or 0.04%. This means you will pay $4 in fees per year on every $10,000 invested in this fund. There is a minimum initial investment of $3,000. After that, you can add money in $1 increments. Vanguard also offers an exchange-traded fund of this product, ticker symbol VTI, that has no minimum requirement. The average annual return for this fund during the last 18 years was about 10% per year. The second fund is the Total Bond Market Fund, which is very similar to the Total Stock Market Fund in that it gives you exposure to the entire United States. But here, instead of having an equity position in these businesses, you own their bonds. There's actually a total of over 10,000 individual bonds in this investment vehicle. Bonds are basically loans issued by these companies and purchased by investors. It has a fee of 5 basis points or 0.05%. With this fund, you'll pay $5 per year on every $10,000 invested. It also has a minimum initial investment of $3,000, but is available as an exchange-traded fund from Vanguard under ticker symbol BND. 
The average annual return for this fund during the last 18 years was about 3.5% per year. Clearly, the total stock market fund with a 10% return is much better than the total bond market fund with a 3.5% return. Why would you ever want to invest in bonds when stocks perform better? We will get to that later in the video. For now, keep in mind that returns are just one aspect of investing. The third fund in this three-fund portfolio is the Information Technology Fund. With this fund, you get a basket of about 360 businesses that focus on technology, from hardware to software and anything else in between. Technology has been a growing sector in the market for a very long time, and it will likely continue to be one of the best growth sectors in the future. This fund has a fee of 10 basis points, or 0.1%. While this is still very cheap with a cost of just $10 per year on every $10,000 invested, it is pricier than the two other funds we just covered. It requires a minimum initial investment of $100,000, but is available as an ETF under ticker symbol VGT with no minimum requirements. This initial requirement for this mutual fund is pretty ridiculous. And to be honest, there is virtually no difference between the mutual fund and the ETF. They both cost about the same and have almost identical market returns. So if there is virtually no difference, how can we choose between a mutual fund and an exchange-traded fund? Today, the differences between mutual funds and ETFs are very minimal. But back in the day, a mutual fund offered valuable benefits. Shares of a mutual fund could be purchased commission-free. Today that doesn't matter much since most trading is commission-free. But a few years ago, investors paid a few bucks for every trade they executed, which could quickly add up during the course of a few years. Additionally, you could buy fractional shares of mutual funds. Again, today you can buy fractional shares on most brokerages as well. But a few years ago, this wasn't widely available. So much of the appeal of mutual funds has faded, and sometimes ETFs can even be more tax-efficient than mutual funds. I would say it really makes little to no difference whether you buy a mutual fund or ETF, other than what's most convenient for you. The reason I presented the mutual funds here is because they have been around longer, and therefore have longer performance histories than their ETF counterparts. This allowed me to look further back in time to perform my analysis. Going back to the technology fund for a second, the average rate of return for this fund during the past 18 years was 15.5% per year. So it performed considerably better than the total stock market fund, and we can use this better return to our advantage in the strategy I will now lay out. My strategy is very simple. I will use these three funds to build a portfolio that will be adjusted for risk based on an individual's age. When I say risk, I am referring to volatility, that is a popular measure of risk in the market. I'll explain how this is measured and how to use it in a little bit. I'm going to call the total stock market fund and the information technology fund return-seeking funds, and the total bond market fund a risk control fund. Keep this in mind as I go over my strategy. My strategy starts with your current age, and more precisely whether you are in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s. You take your current age group and subtract this number from 100. So if you're in your 20s, that would mean 100 minus 20, which is 80. If you're in your 50s, that would mean 100 minus 50, which is 50. Very simple. Now we take the result, and this is the percentage of your portfolio that will be invested in return-seeking funds, which are the total stock market fund and the information technology fund. The split will always be 70-30, 70% to the total stock market fund and 30% to the information technology fund. The remaining percentage that is not invested in return-seeking funds will be invested in the risk control fund, the total bond market fund. Let me give you an example so we can sink in better. Let's say you are in your 40s. We will subtract 40 from 100, which equals 60. So 60% will be invested in the return-seeking funds, and 40% will be invested in the risk control fund. We need to split the 60% between the total stock market fund and the information technology fund. So I will multiply 60% times 70%, which equals 42%. This is the allocation to the total stock market fund. Next I will multiply 60% times 30%, which equals 18%. This is the allocation to the information technology fund. And the final 40% will be allocated to the total bond market fund. Pretty simple to understand and follow. As you age and move into the next age bracket, for example, you turn 50 years old, you would adjust the allocation of your portfolio. 
The reason why you want a higher allocation to return-seeking funds earlier in life is because they offer better returns. But they are also more risky. Remember, risk is measured by volatility. The return-seeking funds offer higher highs and lower lows. While we want to benefit from the higher highs, we also don't want to be exposed to lower lows later in our life, as we have more capital invested and a shorter timeline to our retirement. So let's talk about risk or volatility and give you some numbers for context to better visualize what role risk played during the past 18 years. The best way to measure volatility is to use standard deviation. The standard deviation for the total stock market fund during the past 18 years was 16.57%. The total bond market fund had a standard deviation of 3.57%. And the information technology fund standard deviation was 23.79%. Okay, so you can see the standard deviation for the total bond market fund was lower than for the total stock market fund. And the total stock market fund standard deviation was lower than the information technology fund. Clearly, the bond market fund is less volatile than the stock market fund, and even more so than the information technology fund. Here's how you can interpret a standard deviation. 68% of the data is within one standard deviation of the mean. So 68% of the time, each of these funds' annual return was within one standard deviation of the average annual return. This can also translate to the future. We can expect that 68% of the time, these funds will have returns within one standard deviation of their historical average returns. Let me give you an example. The standard deviation for the total bond market fund is 3.57%, and the average return during the past 18 years is 3.56%. So 68% of the time, the total bond market fund had a return between minus 0.01% and 7.13%. To compute this range, you take the average annual return and you subtract and add one standard deviation. This also tells me that there is a 68% chance this fund will offer a return within this range in the future. You can go out to two standard deviations, which will increase the confidence level from 68% to 95%. And at three standard deviations, the confidence level climbs to 99.7%, but this also makes the range very wide. But for the sake of my example here, we will stick with just one standard deviation. It's more than sufficient for what I will try to convey. Now I'm going to show you the 18-year return for each portfolio strategy, from being 20 years old to 60 years old. And I'll be comparing these returns and the risk or volatility to the total stock market. Okay, so our baseline, the total stock market had an annualized rate of return of 10.05%, with a standard deviation of 16.57%. The 20-year-old allocation for our three funds is as follows. 56% total stock market, 24% information technology, and 20% total bond market. The annualized rate of return for this portfolio was 10.02%, so just 0.03% worse than the total stock market. The standard deviation, however, drops to 14.78%. So with this portfolio, we would capture 99.78% of the return of the total stock market, while being exposed to 89.18% of the risk. This basically means that if the total stock market fund drops 10% in a given year, this portfolio would be expected to fall by about 8.9%. Of course, in reality, things never work out this precisely. To give you an example, the total stock market is down 8.43% this year through month in February. The 20-year-old allocation is down 8.21% which is a smaller loss, but this loss is about 97.4% of the loss for the total stock market, which is much higher than our measured volatility. But if we look at another sample year, in 2008, the total stock market lost 36.99%, while our 20-year-old allocation strategy lost only 29.97%. This equates to just about 81% of the loss of the total stock market. So while the volatility comparison is not exact, it is meaningful, especially over a longer period of time. To me, this strategy looks very good. We can virtually capture all of the return of the total stock market while taking on about 11% less risk. The cost for this portfolio is 5.6 basis points, or $5.60 per year for every $10,000 invested. Moving on to the 30-year allocation. 
Here we would have the following allocation. 49% total stock market, 30% total bond market, and 21% information technology. The annualized rate of return for this allocation was 9.36%, which is 93.16% of the return of the total stock market. So we are giving up about 7% of the potential return here, which is the total stock market fund. But we also reduce our standard deviation to 13.03%, which is 78.64% of the total stock market standard deviation. Essentially we are lowering our overall return, but in turn we are also lowering the volatility of our portfolio. We are exposed to about 21% less volatility in exchange for about 7% less return. The expense ratio for this allocation is the same as the prior allocation, 5.6 basis points. This allocation, for example, has a loss of 7.59% this year. That is about 10% smaller than the loss for the total stock market of 8.43%. And in 2008, this allocation was down 25.58%, or 69.2% of the loss of the total stock market. Moving on to the 40-year-old allocation. Here we would have the following breakdown. 42% total stock market, 40% total bond market, and 18% information technology. The annualized return for this allocation was 8.65%, which is 86.14% of the total stock market return. But again, our standard deviation moves lower to 11.3%, which is 68.21% of the standard deviation for the total stock market. So we forego about 14% of the return for about 32% less volatility. This allocation is down 6.97% this year, which is 82.7% of the loss of the total stock market. And in 2008, this allocation finished the year down 21.19%, which was 57.3% of the loss for the total stock market. So in 2008, we nearly cut our loss to just half of the total stock market. That's pretty good. The expense ratio for this allocation is lower than the prior two allocations at 5.5 basis points. Moving on to the 50-year-old allocation. Here we would have the following breakdown. 50% total bond market, 35% total stock market, and 15% information technology. The annualized return for this allocation was 7.91%, which is 78.76% of the total stock market return. But again, the standard deviation moves down to just 9.6%, which is 57.95% of the total stock market standard deviation. So we give up about 21% of the return for about 42% less volatility. This allocation is down 6.36% this year, or about 75% of the loss of the total stock market. In 2008, this allocation was down 16.8% which is just 45% of the loss of the total stock market. That's a much better position to be in for someone getting closer to retirement. Cutting your losses by half is pretty significant. The expense ratio for this allocation is 5.4 basis points. And moving on to the final 60-year-old allocation, the fund breakdown is 60% total bond market, 28% total stock market, and 12% information technology. You'll notice that here we have a higher allocation to the total bond market, which is our risk control fund, than to the return-seeking funds. The annualized return for this allocation was 7.13%, which is 71.02% of the total stock market return. But once more, the standard deviation drops down to just 7.95%, which is 47.99% of the total stock market standard deviation. So with this allocation, we are foregoing about 29% of the return for about 52% less volatility. This allocation is down 5.74% this year, which is about 68% of the loss of the total stock market. And in 2008, this allocation was down 12.41%, which was just 33.5% of the loss the total stock market experienced. At this age bracket, we are willing to forego higher returns in lieu of more capital preservation. The expense ratio for this allocation is 5.3 basis points. So the cost of each allocation is relatively the same and very cheap compared to many other investment products. If you adopt a strategy like this early in your 20s, 
you'll spend about a decade invested at each allocation tier, taking on more risk early on and reducing that risk later in life for more capital preservation. This is a very similar approach to target date funds, except most target date funds also include international funds, and some are even more complex with more components. But even the cheapest target date funds typically cost at least three times as much as any of these allocations, and usually the cost is much higher than that. I think all average investors would do well using this simple strategy over a long period of time. Obviously the final results would depend on your contributions and a little luck. Catching a nice bull market early on in your investing journey would give you a great start and a foundation to build on. The thing is we don't know what will happen tomorrow, or next week, or next year, and we can only act on the information we have at hand. If you have a higher tolerance for risk and would like to take a chance at potentially better long-term returns, you could apply a simple modification to this strategy. If you recall, in the very beginning, I explained that the allocation is set by subtracting your age bracket from the number 100. For those with a higher risk appetite, you could instead subtract your age bracket from 110 or 120. This would give you a 10 or 20% higher allocation to return-seeking funds at each age interval. Using 120 instead of 100 would mean that in your 20s you'd potentially get 112% of the return of the total stock market, but be exposed to 110% of the volatility. In your 30s, you'd potentially get 106% of the return of the total stock market, while having about the same exposure to volatility. In your 40s, you'd potentially get about the same return as the total stock market, while having about 11% less volatility. In your 50s, you'd potentially get 7% less return than the total stock market, but be exposed to about 21% less volatility. And in your 60s, you'd potentially get 14% less return than the total stock market, but be exposed to about 32% less volatility. Now if you are more risk averse, you could do the exact opposite of what I just explained. Instead of subtracting from 100, subtract from 90 or 80. Using the number 80 would mean that you would start out with a 60-40 return seeking versus risk control allocation in your 20s, and end up with a 20-80 return seeking versus risk control allocation in your 60s. This would drop your terminal annualized return to just 5.48% in your 60s, but it would also lower the volatility exposure to just 30% of the total stock market. This strategy goes up to the age of 60. Beyond this age, you would just remain at the 60-year-old allocation target indefinitely, and you could adopt a withdrawal strategy like the 4% rule to draw down your portfolio. If you would be continually adding money to this portfolio, you could also move from one allocation to another with new contributions, rather than doing a hard rebalance when you move up to the next age tier. The same process can work for the withdrawal strategy in retirement. You can pull your distributions from the overweight funds in the portfolio, and avoid rebalances that could create unwanted tax events. I know the returns laid out here are average, but average market returns are nothing to sneeze at. Over a long period of time, even average returns can grow your money exponentially. A 10% annual return means your money doubles about every 7 years. At a 7% annual return, your money doubles every decade. And at a 5% annual return, your money doubles every 14 years or so. Using the annualized returns from my original example, investing $10,000 at the age of 20, if you achieve the stated annualized rates of return without adding any more money to this portfolio, by the age of 60, you would have roughly $540,000. The more risky approach using the number 120 instead of 100 would turn the same $10,000 into about $984,000. And the less risky approach using the number 80 instead of 100 would turn the same $10,000 into about $276,000. Those are all very good multiples of your money. All it takes is time and patience. It takes a long time to see the power of compounding, and you need to learn how to wait patiently for it to work. If you enjoyed the video, please give it a like and subscribe to the channel for more content. Thanks for watching and see you next time.